Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode we chat with Casey Wall from Bar Liberty, Capitano, Above Board and Falco Bakery about his move from the States to Melbourne, the experience of his previous venue, Rockwell and Sons, life in the Melbourne hospitality scene and why the notorious B.I.G. is the only face of hip-hop that you see on walls of restaurants and burger bars. Welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Steph Postuma, your host alongside uh, the rugby-playing, flounder-eating, sea-blight-gathering, Welsh rarebit himself, Simon Evans. Hi, thank you. Speaking of Mike, Good intro. If I did a Pat Nurse, God. <laughs> to start our podcast, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. So where we are today, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and speak today and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right, let's introduce our guest. We're here in the private dining room at Bar Liberty with Casey Wall, owner and chef here at Bar Liberty, uh, Capitano, Falco Bakery, Above Board. I don't do much at Above Board. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what Hayden told us last night as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, no, no, it's great to chat with you guys, yeah, for sure. It's great to have you on. Mm. Um, this one's going to be a very much just like a food talk, a bit of your story, a bit of what you're into at the moment, a bit of what you've got going on with all your different venues and stuff. Um, but yeah, like we, we want to start to know, like I mean, you've obviously got an American accent and we want to know what brought you to Melbourne and how you ended up here, a bit of that story. Oh, yeah, well, um, I've been here for about 11 years now. Um, I came as I didn't expect to stay here for 11 years. I didn't really expect <laughs> to stay here for six months. They, I had these like uh, illusions of grandeur that I was just going to come down and get a job for a few months and then save up some money, go to Vietnam, hang out for a little bit, then get the Trans-Siberian Railroad across to Moscow <laughs> and then get a train to London and then work in London. And that didn't happen. Not even close. That's, I haven't been to that's Vietnam That's the worst yet. way to get from America to London. Yeah, I was obsessed with Dostoevsky and uh, uni and I just, yeah. I don't know, like the Trans-Siberian Railroad was something I just always wanted to do. Yeah, it wow. sounded like... I actually really want to do that too. That's on yeah. my list. It sounds like equal parts amazing and bleak. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. like, on this train in Russia. Like, um... That's what I wanted to do. And then it was, 
I, I mean, if you were to, in week two when I was in Melbourne, if you'd have told me I was, I'd have been here for 11 years, I, I would not have been convinced. It was, <laughs> it was a little a bit of a struggle to find a job. Yeah, like right. I just came from New York, and it was, I like the jobs I was I was looking at in New York were a lot of like, sous chef, executive sous chef kind of roles and 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 high-end restaurants and a lot of them attach themselves to like two or three year commitments right and i was like I, d I didn't want to do that yet i was like okay that's the step i'm gonna go away for a few months and i'm gonna come back to that and so i come to melbourne uh, i had a friend that i went to uni with who studied abroad at the university i went to and he was in melbourne so um i was coming down here just to hang out for a little bit mm. see what see what happened and i won't name any names but the first place i trod at was <laughs> Is it a two-hat restaurant? I don't know if they have any hats anymore. <laughs> so people may be able to gather which one that is. Uh, they were, like, cooking stuff in a microwave. And like, wow. I was, yes, I swear to God. I was, like, and I just could not fathom, like, this kind. And I was, like, all right. So I don't, I understand there's no Michelin guide in Australia, but there's this hat system. And I was looking at the restaurants that had hats. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's a two-hat restaurant. So there's only a couple, three-hat restaurants. So this is like... Yes, yeah, it's similar. Like, the tea is the same. Like, and I was like, all right, well, this is wild. And I was like, they offered a, a, me a job. And I said, oh, I think I'd like, I'd like to look around a little bit. And went to... <laughs> then I did a trial at a three-hat restaurant. Can and you tell us which that one was? I probably shouldn't. <laughs> 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 I was there for a while. Um, and then the owner came in. And again, like this is probably enough information for anyone to know who together the restaurant. But really, like, he came in. I was helping this uh, young kid because at the time I was like 27 or 28, mm. and I was helping this young kid on larder, and he was going down so hard. <laughs> and like the the chef owner came in, and he was like, "What the fuck are you doing? Stand in the corner, don't touch anything." So I was like on this trial, just like just standing in the corner and eventually like a pastry chef like took some like pity on me he was like oh this is how we scoop ice cream i was like yeah I, sweet, sweet thanks guys i figured this out he was just talking to me because you could tell i was like at, i mean i was just stuck and so i went home well, they offered me the position and i was like fuck no and i was like so i went home and i started looking for flights back to america wow <laughs> I was like, this Holy is like shit. and then the next day uh andrew because I'd, I'd messaged Andrew at Cutler asking for a job before I got here. And I didn't yeah. get any response. Actually, the only one person responded to me when I was sending out like filler emails. And that was Ben at Attica. And he was like, hey, we don't have any positions, but I'm more than happy to help you find something. Just let me know. I have some friends down here. And I, That's cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was like, oh, thanks for the, you know, if, if it gets dire, I'll ask him. I never asked him for that. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't meet him for like another six years after that probably, but, <laughs> this week, um, and then Andrew was like, come in for a job trial. And he said, meet me at Q, I, cause I actually applied at Cumulus and he said, oh, meet me at Cutler. Mm. And that's where it all kind of started. Right. Yeah. So what was your first position in Cutler? I just chefed a party. I was cooking meat. Uh, it was, it was hectic. We walked in. There's, there's this dish that anyone that worked there would know is like the world's worst dish to prep. It's like this pigeon dish, and it had like 70 components on it. Um, the, you know, a breast that was cooked sous vide to order. This like little thigh that was boned out, wrapped in pancetta, wrapped in cold fat, 
poached, pan-seared, and this confit little, uh, like the, the drumstick was confit. We had to pull out all the little, little yeah, tendons yeah. and shit. And it was like, oh man, it was awful. It was the worst of the Just like dining 10 years ago. Yeah, and it, and then it, like, can I do 20 things with this yeah. one bird? And then it was like brunoise, chestnuts, brunoise, confit gizzards to put in the sauce mm. and stuff. It was like, it was so fucked. Like, it, was like, <laughs> this, it was such a pain in the ass dish. And we, I, I worked there for a year, then my visa was up. Uh, so you come out like a working holiday I visa. came out working a visa. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I, should, I probably shouldn't say that. I, wasn't, I worked there for a year. I was there for six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I just did one <laughs> six months on mine as yeah, well. That's, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I actually was um, dating this Australian. So we just kind of like eventually got a visa together. And I, I came back and mm. we got married. And that, that was... A good way to see. I mean I didn't leave the country but I came back mm. so I was at Andrew for that whole year and I it was a crazy kitchen to work in like no one I don't think anyone really knows like the talent in that kitchen uh, I, I, was, I was listening to your podcast Alan earlier today and he was saying he worked there he was there before I was there so mm. I, I never worked with him but I, I mean obviously I know him he's, he's a great guy um, and the so it's me, but I don't, I don't really rate myself. That's not, <laughs> that's not. Uh, Seth, Seth James was in that kitchen. He's, um, out in WA. He's at Will's domain. He's got yeah, like yeah. regional, I think he's got best WA restaurant. Yeah, looks regional awesome. restaurant like looks he's doing so great good. things there. Um, Chris Watson, who was running color for a while and now he's working at Meatsmith. I mean, he's a great chef. JP was the head chef who was just at Carlton wine room. And now mm. he's working with Baker blue. Um, Sam Lawrence is the head chef at Estella in New York City. He was wow. there. Um, cool. Patty Powell is at Allegra now in London. He's just, uh, it's a crazy awesome restaurant. Yeah, yeah. He's doing great. I mean, it, I don't know. It's so hard to say what people are doing now because no one's done anything for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were uh, doing this. Sebastian Myers is there. He was running, um, oh man. I mean, so many great places yeah. in London. Mm. I, off the top of my head, I, I, that's going to I think up. that's the sign of a good kitchen. Yeah, it was. Like, oh, I mean, I mean it depends to find good, but like, you know, some kitchens can be fucking toxic, but they, they produce lots of great people. But I think that is the sign, generally. If a restaurant's produced good chefs, then yeah, something right. was going right there. That, I mean, that kitchen team was insane. And I think, I know, like, there's some, like, other kitchens that people talk about in Australia more, but... Um, that's just because half the guys have left the country. You know, they were on visas and stuff. Yeah. Like if everyone was in Australia running the same restaurants, it'd be like, man, this, mm. it was it was crazy. I came in, um, and then oh, like uh, this other guy, uh, Mikey was there. Uh, ben Sears was in the kitchen. Mm. Mikey was he had a Michelin star restaurant in Beijing. Now he's in Singapore. Uh, ben Sears, who had like uh, Paper Bird or Paper Moon, Paper Bird. Sydney. In Sydney, yeah. Yeah, bird, yeah. yeah, and now he's doing the oh, yeah. the, the, the Israeli food. I'm am sorry, Ben. I forgot the name of your restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like just things like that, and it's just yeah. like oh, top to bottom, the kitchen was loaded. I mean, Sam Sam who's in Estella now is a he was a apprentice when he was there. So yeah. it's like from mm. top to bottom, it was just like super talented people. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's like, hey, yeah, working with Andrew was a. That's why I'm still in Australia today. Like if that. If he didn't send me that email, I would have been. I would yeah. have stayed here for like a month and spent all my money and went back to New York with my tail between my legs. Yeah, you know? that's crazy. It was that close. Yeah, like to going. It's yeah, pretty wild. What it was, was what was your perception of the like 
dining scene in Australia? Like, you know, the differences between what you were used to and what you saw when you got here? Well, there's, there's Apart like from a, microwaved food at two <laughs> hot restaurants, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was insane. I had that moment with frozen scallops. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Like, well, I, saw, I saw frozen scallops at a, the restaurant I worked in like Threadbow for like two days before I bailed. Right. And then I, when I came and did my trial at Kavala. It's I cold down there, mate. Just well, I just, I just I've never seen them. And, like, yeah, and, right. I, and I went to, I know you, you can't get them fresh, but I know like a lot of people use frozen ones. And I went to Kavala and I told Pete, the old owner, and I was like, oh, yeah, buddy, saw frozen scallops this other place. It was crazy. And he was like, yeah, we use we use frozen scallops. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, when you do, it's fine though. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When you move, moving here eleven years ago, it was crazy because it, um, it's very much a country rooted in like wait, the British influence and the cooking, um, like that that kind of like. I feel like it was influenced via Britain, via France. And then, mm. like, then it had this, like, crazy, crazy, like, Pan-Asian, like, sprinkle on top of it. Everything, it was, like, Asian for no yeah. reason. Like, I mean, it wasn't, like, fusion food. It was just using Asian ingredients in ways I've never seen Asian ingredients used. They're just very, ing- they're very ingrained here. Yeah. Like, I just noticed that it's just, like, things that would be seen as, like, exotic in the UK were just, like, staples in the kitchen here. Yeah, that's, that's it, what I yeah. saw. I... I I did think when I moved here that the food scene was like lagging behind mm-hmm. New York's. I mean, that's not fair. I moved from New York to Melbourne, but it was crazy. Like before I moved to New York, I came to Melbourne and I was like, man, this city is so big. And then I like did some more traveling, working in, around the States and stuff, got to New York. And I was like, I want to go back to Melbourne. That's a like pretty big city. And then I moved back when I moved to Melbourne from New York. I was like, oh, this is like a country town. <laughs> in comparison. Uh, the, the food scene in 11 years has grown so much i like 11 years ago i i don't even i mean it was such a cafe pub dominated food scene like some fine dining there was no middle tier of Mm. dining here it was like some really good cheap eats whether it was like lebanese or turkish or vietnamese um and then it was some nice fine dining restaurants but in them there was nothing in the middle Mm. and that's where like new york city flourishes you have the like the top of the top there as well and you have some amazing cheap eats, but that middle ground, like you can eat so much good food in the yeah. middle ground, which now it's starting to happen. Like it's happened in the last few years in Melbourne and the food scene is like super dynamic. You have like young chefs, or not, not that young, I guess, anymore, but people like developing their sense of what Australia is. Mm-hmm. Like they're creating their own, like Australian foods, like yeah. becoming a thing. I think that's the most exciting thing that's happened in the last couple of years and is happening now, is the evolution of, of moving away. Like, so I gave me, it was like, is Australian, I was like, literally it was like, is Australian food Asian food? Like, is like is that what, because that's what like, like um, sepia were doing and Tetsuya was known for. And yeah. that seemed to be like, and even, even like Attica was a bit pan-Asian at one time, wasn't it? Well, I, I think they like, were doing, I mean, they were doing like, there was Thai like, food almost at the yeah, beginning yeah. or something. So it was like, like crazy. I, that was kind of the, almost the, what I sort of considered what Australian food was really when I first, like, like nine years ago. And it's, yeah, it seemed everyone kind of, try and move into something that is sort of Australia's own is, is pretty exciting. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely changed a bit. It was, it was, it was really interesting. It's very interesting to see it grow. Um, and you get, a, um, now you're getting some like second generation chefs, you know, uh, from immigrant families, like doing their take on like 
I don't say like Vietnamese and Australian mm. food. It's like it's so amazing. Like Sunda, like yeah, Sunda's yeah. like doing. That's like he's yeah. created his own his thing. Amazing. It's like it's not. It's very much Asian rooted in Australian ingredients, but it's not the Asian influenced food of yeah. fine dining that was like ten years ago. It's yeah. like, he's like he's doing great things. And then there, you know, as people are turning back to like like Joe and Matt. Uh, Joe Barrett and Matt Stone are doing like really cool things with like native produce. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, they're both like super switched on about stuff like that. And it's like, it's creating this whole other like culture in Australia, like food culture, which is really neat to see. Yeah. Because it's kind of like that sort of like New York Italian thing, which has become its own like cuisine. And we're getting that sort of like Australian Vietnamese or Australian. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, wherever it might be. But the, the whole like diaspora of like Italy and, and America and like, even like the like sections of Italians that the, the, I feel like the Italian food in Philadelphia is very similar to the Italian food in New York, but it is slightly different. It's mm-hmm. like, can you branch out? And, and I feel that that might've never happened in, I don't know why, in, in Australia, the Italian, because there's heaps of Italian immigrants here, but it almost seemed like that everyone was trying to like just cook from back home, like trying yeah. to recreate dishes or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's like not using the produce here, but. I think, I think it says taking that like second generation where yeah. maybe like the parents had a you know, traditional Australian traditional you know, Asian restaurant and then they've grown up with social media and you know, the kind of chef boom and the restaurant boom and been like, well, I can take these recipes and like tweak them a bit and fucking charge three times as much <laughs> and then you know it's just done something pretty amazing so I think that's pretty that's pretty cool to see I mean it's just a little young country here it's like it's still working out what the bloody hell's going on did, did you when you first started working at Cutler or you know any of the formative places in Melbourne like we talk a, a, a lot about on this podcast we've talked a lot about how Australia has struggled to find its own identity in food did you see that like coming from America did you you see that where you're like, what is Australian food? Like, what is? Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not sure there is an identity in Australian food. Like, I mean, not to insult Australians because I, I love it here and I love Australians. We know there's not. We're trying yeah. to figure it yeah. out. Like, yeah. I just it. I mean, the the most like Australian thing is avocado on toast or like a chicken parma. Yeah, I, yeah. that's like the. You, this is the thing I've been saying. Uh, for ages and and then when there was a massive cafe boom in melbourne it's starting to subside now they're not like you can't just open cafes anymore like you used to be able to but it was like it was stunting the growth of chefs in melbourne i'm not sure how that happened in other cities but like here every week you would read an article in broadsheet or good food or whatever about like ex Voudemont chef opening a, like, yeah. a, at a cafe and like the guy was there for like three months and now this desperate cafe owner hired this kid that's 22 years old to make the same five menu items that are on every menu mm. in the in, in the city you know it's like you, you have like the the shashuka variant or like mm. adjacent shashuka dish like a, a bean dish a smoked trout dish and you know it's like that was like every cafe and that for a while you could it was just printing money yeah, yeah, and like, and I'm so happy this cafe booms died because it's definitely stunted like the Melbourne food scene. Mm, and the other, the other side of that is the the pubs, which I've nothing in. I think there's nothing inherently wrong with a pub, but they can do whatever they want and charge whatever they want, and no one bats an eye. Yeah, and it's just kind of it's like this cultural staple of Australia that you go to the pub with your f- friends and you order these dishes, and it's 
or you go to a pub and it's like $38 for a steak and chips or whatever, and no one bats an eye. But then you, you like put in like months of development and you do a dish and you charge like $25 for a yeah. raw fish dish. And everyone's like, you're fucking out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, like no, nah, there's like, this is like, this is way different. Yeah, this, like this you're fish so is much expensive. more value yeah. with this fish compared to that like steak and chips. And that, yeah, like and, or like the bucks. chicken parma, you know, some places now are charging like $27, $28. Yeah. And it's like, I know this dish doesn't call I know how to call food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't some like corn fed, like organic mm. chicken. Like I know, I know what you guys are doing yeah, and how much a chicken breast costs. Bought like, in like that. Yeah. Like, it's like, bought in crumbs. Like. Yeah. And I, I think that something's interesting to note. I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear the thoughts of Sydney chefs on this, but like New South Wales has this pokies ep- epidemic. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got them here in Victoria as well, but not at the same level that you do in New South Wales. And that creates another whole set of issues when it comes to competition well, at pubs and and like, and that I mean, sort of thing. It's of it's a different world. Our one of our old co-hosts, Andy Burns, was like babyface. I'm not sure you met him when you were down. But he, he like lost a pretty good chef to a club once because they were just they were just like we'll pay you like eighty grand for like a sous chef job, oh, and, really? and he was like, like what am I gonna do? Like and then, you know they've just got pokey money, they've got gambling money, mm. like, they're making millions on that. Well, whoever went there would, would definitely hate themselves too. Well, you'd hope so. Oh, you fucking hate yourself. Yeah, maybe, you, maybe they're just really happy and just having like a work life balance with lots of money. But I, I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's one thing I could never do is like take I do do a job like that because yeah, yeah. that's not why I, I cooked it's yeah. not what I like I mean everyone young kids now have it so good with like wages hours that mm. I we make an extraordinary effort to make sure everyone's happy um, and, and, and working good hours and that everyone's yeah. like in good shape yeah for sure and like I we, mean realistically it's like it's not even that they have it good it's we had it bad <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean? yeah, like, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I should say we had it bad. Like I remember, as working places, I, I won't say it. I won't say where because like they know where they are. <laughs> like we we would go, we would work, um, and then instead of driving home to go to sleep, we would just sleep in our cars in the parking lot because yeah. that saved like forty five minutes each way getting to and from the restaurant. And then we would take a shower in the staff change room and then go to work. And I was like, oh, so we can sleep for an extra 90 minutes in the yeah. car if we just sleep in our cars. And that's just like, that's what we did. And it was this, it's it was this crazy, like, that's what we were told that we had to do. Yeah. And we wanted to be good chefs. Yeah. Like, and, and everything yeah, mattered. Like, I just have like car naps between doubles. Oh, I'd be like, yeah, I got an hour. I'm going to lie down in the back seat. I don't even know what a double is. There <laughs> 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 was no break for us. Oh, that's a luxury. <laughs> uh, you had a break in your doubles? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sitting down to eat staff meal is good. Yeah. Like, you know, not shoveling it over a trash can. But I'm not saying this is good or I, I do think, and I know you would agree. You may not say you agree on, on the microphone, but I think our generation of chefs at a certain age. So you take a chef that's 23 today versus a chef that's 23, like coming up when we did, like we are more talented only because we were working. It takes well, yeah, actually, twice as long to... It, it's just because it's repetition, Alan, right? I think Alan said this to me at dinner last night when we were talking. And he, like, it never really occurred to me. It was just like, if you're doing like, you know, you're doing 60, 70 hour weeks and someone else is doing doing 40, you're doing every week you do, you get an extra extra half week more experience. That's it. And over I mean, time, I was just like, oh yeah. 
<laughs> it, <laughs> like, think about it like that. It's not, um, yeah, it's not saying that it's a good thing that we did. Cause mm. I would like, if I, if I could live my life now, like I, when, when I was 20, I, I would probably be way happier now. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like I was getting more money to work more hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. still get a meager pay, yeah. but it's like all the experiences was, and I guess in a, in a, in a way I may not be where I am today if I didn't work those hours, but there's plenty of kids that are coming up now who are going to be better chefs than we are. And, that, yeah. and, they, and they're not working. Yeah. I think, I think it's just like, the, it's a balance. I think the reality of like of working in a restaurant is there's just going to be some days where you're just like, fucking busy and you're behind and you're understaffed and there's only one way of getting around that like and that's just to work more hours so like sometimes like yes you want to keep everyone down to you know 30 hours or 40 hours or whatever they're doing but occasionally it's like we're just gonna have to do a 16 hour day like there's actually no way around it and like you i think you, like you have to be willing to do that and willing to play effort in because that's like for one you're getting more experience within that and then that's if you as, as an owner or a boss you got two chefs and they're equally as talented, but one is happy to like come in hourly to get his prep done, stay an hour later to crack down, the other guy's leaving and you know, starting on time. When you're looking for your next head chef, you're gonna pick the oh yeah, the guy who works harder. So it's like I don't want you to work harder, but like I want you to be willing to work hard. Like it's a it's, weird it's one a, too. Be, I mean, chefs get fleeced now, like in media about like overworking, underpaid, and I get that. Like like fuck people who do that. Mm. But there's like heaps of office jobs where they're staying an extra 20 hours. No one's like exactly yeah. Deloitte. Like, oh, those guys are, you know, like they're not paying their interns. Enough. You know, no yeah, one yeah, says yeah. that well, shit, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like cracking down. Sorry, Deloitte. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got, a friend that, I've got a friend that worked at NAB and I've never seen someone so stressed. Like I've never seen someone who stayed fucking, he was just in the office in the dark by himself at 10 o'clock at night banging out like commercial loan you know yeah. details and all that sort of stuff because they they push them just as hard as anyone like mm. in in a lot of industries and, and that's that's what makes for an interesting question is like why all of a sudden it has, is the spotlight on the hospitality industry for specifically this issue like why mm. why is it because i think maybe it's a combination of things right like there's you know media out there and news out there about toxic culture at, in workplaces you know drug use bad like bad habits being fostered chefs being dickheads to their staff and stuff like that which goes hand in hand with wage wage theft overworking and all these sorts of things but why is it that hospitality is the one that's been singled out in the media for mm. like unfair work conditions maybe it's because like there's no there's like no there's not master lawyer you know they, 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 we don't make celebrities out of some of these other industries, but then we make celebrities out of chefs. And if, if you're a celebrity and someone finds out something bad in your past, that's making the news. Mm. You know, like, like, you know, George Columbaris was a you know, fucking lawyer who owned a law firm. Like, he wouldn't be that famous and therefore the press wouldn't care as much if he wasn't paying his staff. So, I mean, I mean maybe. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's definitely part of it. And then sometimes it's like, it seems like in like uh, you know, capitalist society or whatever. Like, in in some industries, it's like celebrated. It's like these, mm. like, like the stock market is is this yeah. like, it's like an exercise in exploitation. Like these companies are squeezing the bottom drop. They're making money yeah. for you as an investor, but they're like, you know, they're underpaying all their staff. And it's yeah. like that's all it is. It's just like an exercise in exploitation. Mm. Um, we won't get too left leaning in this. <laughs> I'll stop there. But I, it's I a, can keep going. It's yeah. It's a weird. Um, like being a chef is. 
it's kind of like being an artist, but not, not all chefs are artists. And there are people who are definitely artistically inclined as chefs. And, and depending on what level of cooking you do, it's easier to progress if you're artistically minded. Mm. But it's one of those things like not all of us are artistic. Some of us are, but being a chef is like your identity like as yeah. a, music, a musician like a musician's a job yeah but you love playing music yeah or most people you know if you're a musician you more or less love playing music you may you may hate it at some point like anything mm. but it's like that's how you identify yourself if you're an actor that's a job but you identify it, your whole life is acting or mm. you know trying or you know singing or any of that but like being an artist you become like this becomes your whole life and then you just work so hard to obtain something that maybe never comes mm. or, or never does but like and then maybe yeah because you're like you're saying like the celebrity you can be a celebrity chef you yeah. can i mean obviously a musician can whatever make heaps of money yeah way more than a chef can yeah but it's like when you when it it's easy to attack that because being a musician is not a job yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it is a job, but it's not a job. It's yeah, like, it's under parallel. Yeah, it's like, like chefing has the kind of the weird balance. Like, like you don't see anyone in an office job getting like a fucking laptop tattooed on their arm. <laughs> no, no, but no. like, you only fuck with a fucking wine glass. Um, but like, you know, every chef is queuing up to get fucking knives or little fucking pig <laughs> on their fucking arm. Is it? Yeah, any bad that. chef tattoos, Casey? Nah, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Simon's got a wine glass. You got anything else on you, Simon? No, I just got that. Just we're drunk at a party and someone was doing stick and poke, and I was oh, like, "Oh, is it a stick and poke?" Yeah, and, party I, was like, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll get a tattoo." And I was like, "What should I get?" I'm like, "Fuck, I get a wine glass." Right. Yeah, yeah. I never. I've never got a. T- I've, I've like uh, a friend of mine is a really, really tattooed, a uh, talented tattoo artist, and I was telling, talking to him one day. And I was like, "I want to get a tattoo, but I don't know what to get." Mm. Um, I was like, "I just can't make a decision." He was like you literally just have to pick something and that's all a tattoo is. And he's like, it's a time and place thing. It's like, yeah. it, it may be stupid when you're 50, but like that, you just look at it like that's when I was 35 and that's what yeah, I yeah. thought, you know, it's, it's just like stories. And I, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But then it's like, I still don't know what I want. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I'm just like, I've got three and I'm just like, I haven't got like, I haven't got, I didn't get one for like 10 years. I just can't ever, I can't make anything of anything I really particularly would like <laughs> on my body. Like, if, you, if I'm honest, thing. like there, um, there's nothing that bores me more than listening to people's stories about their <laughs> tattoos <laughs> and like the significance of their life story and all the yeah. countries they travel to that culminated in this tattoo. Yeah. I mean, their like, point yeah. is like, like yeah, <laughs> chefs take chefing to heart a lot. Like, yeah, it's very much. But that's it's, it's so interesting, right? Like that's so, like I mean, it's it's such a good, you know, like vector or, or just illustration of how how much people identify with their career path is mm. getting a fucking tattoo of a like of a knife or a yeah what, what a microplane what's a, what's the most commonly used like chef's tool like a chopping board that would be the shittest be? tattoo a, a chopping chop- board a chopping tattoo <laughs> like yeah. i think i feel like um you know we obviously humans are inherently tribal like that's why we root for teams and have mm. like pride in countries or cities or 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 whatnot and then being a chef, it, like working in a kitchen, is is such a close knit family tribe. Like however you want to describe it, like mm. you, these people, you spend so much, you spend more time with the people you work with than you do with your family a lot of the time. Mm. Or in some days, especially when you're on and not all, or off. 
and, it, and it's just like everything is so hard like but it's not it's the way we talk of things being hard it's hard in like hour blocks like I have to get this much done in an yeah. hour it's not like we have a six month lead on a dish you yeah. know? Like it's like an hour block of like stress and then you know in the in the heat of the moment like in a, on a busy service it, it, it's like it feels like it's us versus them there's mm. no them mm. you're just making people <laughs> yeah, yeah. happy right like just you know cooking like, dinner yeah just it's like, fucking dinner. like you're helping people like celebrate birthdays and get laid and first dates and yeah. weird things and like but it feels like it's us versus them yeah like it, and it's like this weird like war that that, that doesn't there's one-sided i guess it's like the emu war for you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, like, but it's just like this you, you it feels like a battle and like, yeah, I mean, the fact that like the kitchens are regimented like an army that's true. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? like, and then, like afterwards, you are just all like, just like fucking black and bloodied, and like, <sighs> we did it, boys. We yeah, did we, it. And then, <laughs> and then, but it's like you, you didn't beat anyone. You just, <laughs> you just made people happy. You know, that's like, which yeah. is the the best part of being a chef. I think is like, sometimes you like if you really step back and think about what you do, and like, like you, like you. Especially like on the le- uh, level that, that that we like cook at, you mm. know, I, I, maybe a cafe chef is is slightly different, but it's like life's like like life achievements. Like I had a great week at work, or you know, it's our anniversary, it's our, my birthday, we're celebrating this or celebrating that, and, and they come to your restaurant to mm. do that, and then you're in the back, like, just <laughs> like trying to battling battling war <laughs> against these people who are in love, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> and then you you come out of the end. Happy birthday, we're like happy anniversary. These assholes, happy birthday. I think that's why you get these really like shitty tattoos and people like so enamored with the chef mm. life is because it, 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 it's just, I guess, you know, in our evolution of, of being a part of a tribe. And that's, mm. where you, that's what we are, like yeah. in this little, you know, little tiny kitchen or whatever. And downstairs, there's two guys working, a yeah. guy and a girl. Like, I've got people I've worked like, two weeks with like years ago in a kitchen and if I saw him it would be like oh my god and he like I need mm. like two weeks and we've kept oh, in touch like here it's, and there like it's, it's, it's a weird like it's interesting form. isn't it yeah I, I like and it's it's great because yeah you can go back to friendships that you made such like uh, there's chefs that I worked with in Canberra that I haven't spoken to in five years but mm. if I find myself with a free afternoon in Canberra I'll just text him he's like chef what are you doing like mm. like do you want to get a drink or something like that? And it's like, fuck yeah, let's catch up. But it's it, that's it's an interesting thing, and I'm going to try to think out loud here about the 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 tribalness and and stuff that we were talking about. But I think that like you know, finding your identity in a career and finding a passion for something in the way that people who invest their lives in hospitality gives people purpose. And as much as we talk about um, how there's many trappings like mental health trappings in the hospitality industry whether it be drugs and alcohol or you know stress or whatever it might be i think i see a lot of people in the hospitality industry who are like quite sure of themselves and quite confident in who they are and sort of happy with who they are and honest people and if they do have possible mental health issues etc um they're happy to talk about that sort of thing because they've been a part of a culture where you can you can be open about your feelings and stuff like that and i wonder if in other industries in which you're not as encouraged or there's not a culture of being yourself and finding an identity in your career and in the team that you're in 
people sort of are more reserved in those feelings and that's what can um, propagate sort of the real serious mental health issues we see mm. in the world and stuff. Well, I think like the the push to the kind of people talk and to get help is pretty recent. But I think kitchens have always been like really accepting of anyone, yeah. of like misfits, outcasts, whatever. Like if you, oh, can, yeah. if you can hold it down, you can hold it down. Like that's going to be the attitude. So I mean, I think that's always been there and you know, you, 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 after a good, ser- good busy service when you smash it you leave, leave the kitchen fucking you know like pretty high yeah, yeah it's, and like yeah when you figuratively if, when you've killed when you've killed the service and everything is smooth like you know you had your meats, meats and plus done there's nothing going like you know you're, you're not in this shit where you like look at your prep list and like this is gonna these these jobs are gonna be my alimanute jobs and these yeah. I'm gonna get these jobs prepped for you know like yeah. if you, everything's prepped up you're good everything's smooth <laughs> You know, clean down sweet, like yeah, there's that's if you could bottle that and sell it, that would be yeah. up there with like whatever oxycotton coat, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dilaudin, whatever you want yeah. to do it. Like that's um that's it's such a great feeling. Um but it's also you can have the complete opposite. It could be like you're and yeah, it, but that's a that's a go down. That's the thing is like you talk to these young chefs and they have a you know a bad day or you've had a bad day you're collectively or we just one person a bad day. It's like mm. you know like oh you're you know are you mad after service like, are you mad at me? I think no, yeah, that, yeah. that was service. Like, yeah, yeah, done. yeah. Like tomorrow I, we're gonna like, come back and do it again. That's the legit. Had a day with like like that a Bangalore with like you know, new chefs been there six months and he's like this is a crazy Saturday and like between lunch and dinner I was like to bring everyone out and be like. Like he's like fucking like coaches halftime talking. I'm like, <laughs> we just gotta stick together. And then just like, get everyone slices of orange. And yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just like, and it was like bring them together. And we like, and we actually like smashed this like ninety person dinner service with like, like four of us limping into it, with like hardly any prep. And afterwards, it was like, it was like, yeah, good. Like, like I know that like, got hairy, but you guys like, you gotta have a short memory. Yeah, that's like, it. Yeah. You know, Another day tomorrow. You're back. Yeah. In, you're back in the town. I'm going to fucking home. It's one. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one too. It's like sometimes when you have a, sh- a shit service or like it, it doesn't go as well as possible, but it's not because everyone was slacking off during the day. It's just like one of those perfect storm moments where like everyone's like slightly under prepped and then you get slammed when you didn't expect yeah, to be busy. Yeah. And somehow like it kind of makes it fun. Like everyone's yeah. like in the shit and you just like, it, when you can come out on top and no one gets mad at it, you yeah, just make, yeah. that's such a good feeling too. Yeah. Like that's, that'd be second, a like one B of just being perfectly prepped and nailing everything. But yeah, like, yeah. There's, like getting through a sticky situation is pretty wild. Mm. Like, but I think that's, that's why chefs are pretty comfortable. I think it's pretty recent that, but it seems like hospitality is pretty, pretty good with talking about mental health over the last couple of years. Yeah. Like oh, 100%. a lot of initiatives, like I know like everyone from owners to, to younger chefs are acknowledging that and looking at that. Um, lots of good hospitality people, like you know, the guys with um, Good Times Only have been doing like, um, what do you call it, the MIDI committee, like every Monday, we're just to try and do something that doesn't involve alcohol for hospitality yeah. people, like whether it's like just grabbing a coffee or doing like a beach cleanup and like things like that are really great. And I, I don't see that in too many other industries as well. I tell, I tell everyone that's young to get a hobby. Yeah. Like something like a, a physical hobby. Yeah. Like, like outside you, cooking. Yeah. Like you have to like engage with something. You cannot just fall into this wormhole of just being a chef. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like the one thing like um, here, everyone works four days. Uh, three days off and the 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 rule is like 
like you can never come to work hungover. Or yeah, anything, right? yeah. And it's just not a, it's so you got three days off. Like you, yeah. you have, you know, you can't you got time. Do, yeah. You do what you want to do, but like, that's, um, it's not really ever been an issue here or any of the restaurants really. And I'd, I'd say I'd come from a, a fairly privileged, like obviously I worked hard and I worked for some, uh, asshole chefs in service, not necessarily as people, but mm. in service. But I, I never really worked in a kitchen where like drinking or drugs were a, yeah. a thing. Mm. Like it's just, I think we were all working so hard. Like well, the idea of yeah. doing drugs after a service is like. I, I think I, sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I could never do a service high. Yeah, I don't like, know who could do that like, shit. Like man. who? Like, I guess it, like yeah, I think it's like it's a certain level of chef, I guess, where that's a bit more of a chew. Well, some people can. Like I, I know that yeah. uh, there's stories of people working in, you know, yeah, sure having like in high-end restaurants just like mm. doing like lines and stuff. I was like, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah. Do, I, I'm pretty like, like I, I can't do that. I, I want control know. when I'm like in the kitchen. Like, yeah. <laughs> be like just, yeah, it's just baffling to me. I don't know how. I've worked in restaurants like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's pretty wild. It's, it's, it's a weird fucking culture. Yeah. Like, because this, the thing is as well, it's like, it, like, it divides the team in a really weird way as well. Like there's yeah, this like right. little crew of like, you know, people who want to do culture in service and like, this is true. It's yeah. like bore witness to it, but like, and then there's like everyone else and it's like, Oh, these guys are doing this. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's fucking, yeah, it's, it's bad. And there's, there's nothing, nothing, nothing good about it. And yeah, that I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that, um, the, I'm glad that it, it's being reported on. Like people are talking about it, and and food media is talking about it. Like about bad cultures in hospitality workplaces because nothing good ever comes of it. You're never gonna foster a positive culture. Like no, that. for sure, it's kind of weird. Like in like in drug use and stuff, it, it becomes people, like not 100 percent chefs. There's also front of house people. But it almost becomes like their personality is like, oh, mm. you know, I'm I, I work, you I'm know, always chef. I'm the high chef. I'm the high bar. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's cool like mm. yeah like yeah. just do like, I, I don't understand like why this has to be a thing i yeah. understand there's like substance issues and all that stuff that happens on the backside of it it's like yeah but these it shouldn't be a place that fosters it and, I, and it's lucky like no one here in, in our restaurants you know it's an issue for us or has ever been an mm. issue for us and and i think the industry is definitely moving away from it mm. did you put um, any like things in place when opening restaurants to like tackle that like like was it were you like right? Everyone's gonna do four days, or everyone's gonna be like you know under this many hours. Like no, no. Um, we like we opened up Rockwell in two thousand and eleven, um, and that was two thousand two thousand twelve. Mm. And that we, me and my business partner Manu, who now we have all these businesses together. Um, we we were. I was working at Cutler. We started doing dinners together, like pop-up dinners just around yeah. town. Because he had just moved back from New York. He's from New Zealand. And, you know, we started talking about New York and we started doing these pop-up dinners and had some really good events in, like, in, in like warehouse spaces and uh, people's uh, houses or uh, events at breweries and other little things like this. And that just, uh, a, a restaurant space became open and we... Did we had no money? We opened up a restaurant for eighteen thousand dollars. Wow! I like, we had no money, and I. That's like no money. That's no money. That's like like not even a drop. You asked your parents for that money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. that's no money. I mean, it was just me and him split it. Yeah. Um, and then, (laughs) me and my ex, 
like she went to the bank and clear cleared out our bank account to put money in the till mm. for the for the bank in the till like to make change yeah, for yeah. people and me and like to be a hundred percent honest me and manu had no business opening a restaurant <laughs> but we did and uh it became gangbusters like we we closed it down maybe two years ago now i have to do the math in my head which i won't come quickly uh, we closed it because we were just tired of doing it mm. which is like a, a weird kind of I, that doesn't really usually happen with restaurants so usually they just fizzle out or it's good, good to realize least, that though yeah we just like, don't want to do it anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like a lot of people just push through you're so allowed to say it. that but yeah. it's just weird for a yeah. chef to say we just didn't we just closed it because we didn't want to do it anymore yeah. like you never hear chefs the, yeah. like that. <laughs> the, the restaurant we opened was um, I, I won't I know it'll sound like cocky to say this, but I don't mean it in any sort of like egotistical way, but like it was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we were trying to open this thing, this, t- this style of restaurant that we were super familiar with in like Brooklyn, which is kind of like these neighborhood restaurants where you could have yeah. like really nice main courses, but also like you could just sit at the bar and eat a burger or yeah. whatever that was. And it's like, you know, we were getting in whole pigs, whole goats, whole lambs, like like doing like constructed dishes, like composed dishes and stuff. Uh, like getting like great produce from farms. And our biggest fault was we just made this burger that was delicious and everyone wanted it. And that, and that changed the nature of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, you start, we're still selling those dishes that we love to cook. But you're a burger it, bar. Yeah, it was so it was not enough to keep justify to keep making them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it turned and now there's the restaurant we opened is very much what is kind of like the normal restaurant now, like this like scope of like casual fine dining kind yeah, of vibe. Yeah. Like you can rock up in your like I don't know Nike sweatpants and yeah. just eat, like you know drink a drink a bottle of Poussard and, and eat a burger or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not that we have burgers downstairs or anything, but it's like this, that's how people do restaurants now. Like, yeah. it's like you don't have, there's no like, um, there's, there's no pretense a, of what you have to do. Yeah, there's a blur of things where before it was like, you have this level, that level, that level. Yeah. Now, and like, you know, this is a dinner restaurant, this is a lunch restaurant, this is a breakfast thing. Like, the restaurants are very much blurred now. Yeah, and have that like talk about this. Like I guess at night pair, you guys could cook whatever you wanted. Yeah, you know, like I, whatever you could, like whatever you wanted to cook, well, you yeah, guys would sell it. And we get people who come in for like dinner and like you know they're like we're going out for dinner tonight, night pair, and then we get people who come in at like you know eleven o'clock to get hammered. Yeah, that's <laughs> like and it's we just get this like strange mix and this progression throughout the throughout the day and throughout the night over like ten hours um, of of just people coming in. Rock seems to work. Rockwell was crazy times. Like we were, we got to the point where we were doing on a Saturday, like with lunch and dinner. Like, and it was not a small restaurant. I mean, it was not a big restaurant. It was a small restaurant, mm-hmm. and we would do like three hundred or over three hundred covers, and it was just like so crazy. But the the other side of that is like the industry loved it. Andrew like was super great to me. Like I I, I can never thank Andrew enough for like him just in media saying like, Oh, you know, I, I like Rockwell and sons and mm. blah, blah, blah. And like him, him like anytime there was like an interview or something, he would just like drop the name yeah, and like help us out. And he was so great for that. And then, um, you know, he would bring in chefs who were in town and then we started, um, and it's funny cause a man who worked at Attica for a little bit 
and then came, for instance, Banjo and Michael, who were our business partners when we were up in here. Michael's still involved, but Banjo's moved back to Adelaide, so he, we mm. bought him out. And then it, it just became this wild thing. Like, anytime there was an event in town, like, the, the after party would be at, at Rockwell. Like, yeah. We, I, like, the list of the world's best chefs have probably eaten at Rockwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's insane. Like, I, could, I could just start naming people off, and, it, like, it, like... It's insane, like who we cooked for. Gives like, gives gives a couple. Oh, I mean, like Sean Brock, Enrique Alvera, um, Anaki, the. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, we could. That's keep pretty going fucking for, cool. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not even like that's <laughs> yeah. Even half. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, the guy who has Din in, in Tokyo is oh, yeah. amazing. He's so awesome. I can't think of his name right now. This is like, I'm so sorry to everyone listening to this. <laughs> um, he, like, he loves the burgers. Occasionally he'll like send me, like, not for a while, he'll, like, but he'd comment on like photos. Um, yeah, wow. doing burgers and stuff. He loved it. Um, but it was like after like the, um, like so many different events, we just get so many people, like Melbourne mm. Food and Wine Festival or when uh, Ben did stuff at Attica and uh, it was just. Um, yeah, be the. The hospital hangout. Yeah, the, yeah who's the awesome. head chef from Cellar Ken? Oh, Albert, Jordi Albert. Is there uh, two on that? Or yeah, there's the other one. Yeah, yeah, they were in. Like, so Jordi Rocker. Yeah, yeah. He, like, oh, yeah. 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 I was in Albert. There's That's three brothers. Big. Yeah, they were through. Yeah. <laughs> like That's to, amazing. He was like <laughs> trying to talk to me, and they like, I didn't like. I spoke Mexican Spanish. Yeah, right. And he spoke Spanish Spanish. <laughs> so we were like we. We're, spo- we're both like saying the same words, but neither one of us could understand each other. That was pretty fun. Because <laughs> like someone was like, "Oh, you speak Spanish," and I like, "Yeah." When I lived in America eleven years ago, I, I was like, ki- like kitchen fluent. Yeah, yeah, in Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. What was it that you think made Rockwell what it was, and um, what were you doing differently specifically? Like, especially with the food and the burgers and things like that. Well, when, when we did the when we started Rockwell, there was I mean the um, oh, what's that burger? chain down the street daniel wilson's burger place huxterburger that would mm. that that had been open for a few months and um but outside of that there wasn't that many burger places in australia yet and it was pretty much like if if anyone would like any fine dining chef would open a casual restaurant mm. you just do things 10 times harder than it needs to be done yeah like we <laughs> yeah um, but and that's like, what made it good. Like we just, yeah. Well, cause it, imagine like you weren't setting out to be a burger joint. You were just like, let's put no, a burger on. Yeah. And you're like, well, if I'm gonna do a burger, I'm gonna do a really fucking good burger. I mean, that's really it. Or just made like uh, the balance of like you know salt, acid, fat. Like in the obviously the fat is the easy part. You have to balance the rest of it in a burger. But it's just like making it taste good, and it's consistent year round. Like we, it, it wasn't. There was no vegetables on it. It was just sauce, cheese, patty, bun. So like, you know, from no no, be, no no beetroot <laughs> from from march to june to november it was the same you could come in it was the same every time you know yeah. we hand cut the chips we had this um pressed rib sandwich that i mean we were making like classic french presses mm. out of like pork and then putting that in a sandwich it was like things that <laughs> like people that just don't do you know like yeah. reducing like, reducing the the brazage down and then using that to set the Press A and then yeah. and it was like things like that. Like for no a sandwich. One, yeah, for a sandwich. It was <laughs> stupid. Like it was so much labor. Like, but I mean, but when, it's delicious. Like it, it is. It's, yeah. it's that's why it was 
better like mm. than a lot of places. I mean, there's people who make good burgers, but it, it wasn't a money grab for us. I'm not saying anyone. I'm not saying like Dan Wilson when they opened Huxaburger was a money grab, but I do think a thousand other yeah. people afterwards <laughs> yeah. were, saw it as a money grab. It became especially the, in the last five years. Like anyone opened a burger joint because there's money in burgers. Well, do you think Neil Perry opened a burger joint because he loves burgers or yeah Shannon Bennett whatever that yeah. Benny, Benny yeah. Burger that think, place flopped pretty hard too. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was <laughs> like that that stuff is. But there's so many other places who just saw it as a money grab, mm-hmm. and I and I think. And I do believe um, that the earth, like, I know I definitely cared, and, I, and I, I've talked to Dan a few times, and I, I know he cared about it. And it was like, in the beginning, it was like, it was something that we liked. And it, mm. it wasn't a thing in Australia, like a, a burger, you know? Yeah. Like, you have some of the classic ones just, that are around yeah, the You just yeah. have the burgers with the lot. Like, for a yeah. long time, the Australian just burger was the burger with the lot from the fish and chip shop that has pineapple, eggs, bacon, beetroot. That's so fucked. Fucking everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who would want to eat that. <laughs> like I don't. I, I'm yeah, it's, not. It's weird to think that they're like the burgers weren't big here because it is massive now. Well, like I, it all like kind of alluded. I mean, not alluded. Sorry, it aligned with the GFC, right? So mm. there for a while, the Australian dollar was uh, like uh, worth more than the American dollar. So everyone all the time was just flying to America. Mm. It was like mm. we'll fly to LA for whatever, and then it's like. It got to the point where it was like a dollar twenty. Um, I think it was up to a dollar twenty. The Australian dollar was worth to the, to the, to the U.S. dollar. Yeah, yeah, wow. So, so you'd go to like awesome restaurants in New York City and like yeah. laugh about how cheap it was. Yeah, it's yeah. the opposite now. It's so expensive. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. with tax and tip and stuff. It's insane. Yeah, I just remember going there and like, I don't need a new pair of shoes. But I'm gonna buy them because they're so cheap. Here, you know? <laughs> yeah, because they're already cheaper than they are like paralleled. Yeah, uh, and then and it's then the like, dollar's good. And then the dollar's good. And and I think there was a massive. American food boom that paralleled the GFC because mm. so many people were going to America and it became kind of trendy. And the whole yeah. world looked at like Brooklyn, especially at that time. Like everyone was like renovating the restaurants the same way, you know, making restaurants in the same pl- like kind of spaces and places, trying to replicate the food. And it was a massive boom of probably around that time, probably around like, yeah, 2010, 2015. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, and that was the GFC kind of mm. vibe. It was like, that's when that was happening and it, it became so popular and I was I remember telling Mandy I was like you know because we, we were always Rockwell was always at the fore any any trend that happens there's like a few restaurants that do that trend or produce that food uh, that do it well mm. and then there's 30 people underneath them those 30 people go out of business in a year or so but the three like the three top of the t- uh, of that trend are still trading ten mm. years down the line because they're good restaurants. Yeah. They've done it well, and there's there's not like there there's no ulterior motives of open restaurant. They just wanted to make good burgers or good mm. pho or good ramen or something. You know what I mean? It's just like these things that people are like care about, mm. and then it's like oh, if ramen becomes popular, then you get fifty shitty ramen restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And then five years time, those fifty will suck, but the five good ones will still be trading. Mm. That's kind of how the the American food was too. Like we just, I don't know, we tried to do something and kind of happened. And then I was, I remember joking with Manu um, that I would have, if we took Rockwell and moved it to North Carolina where I grew up, we would have less competition than we did in Melbourne. And it's yeah, like, right. that's at that point, it was just like every other corner was a, yeah. a burger place or someone trying to do fried chicken. And like, and I have like, 
I mean, you're not Australian. I mean, you, obviously, yeah, you're Australian, but like, what the fuck is it with, uh, like, Notorious B.I.G.? Is oh, that the man. only rap artist oh, that Australians know? Dude, it's like I don't throw know. Big, I think throw I think, Biggie on the wall. To be honest, I I reckon, like, I think that there were a lot of people who liked Biggie that are around my age, maybe a little bit older. Like, I'm 34. Um, I reckon I saw a change when the fucking Notorious movie came out. Eh? I reckon there was a lot of people who just jumped on the Biggie bandwagon. They were like, Juicy's the sickest I, track. Like, and yeah, I don't know. I that like, is a very good question. I saw a meme recently. It was like, it was like a piss take menu. And it was like, how to name your menu. And it was like, like or how to design a bar. And it's like, Biggie mirror on the wall. Yeah. One, one needs to be like, one chicken needs to be called Juicy. One needs to be called like yeah, Notorious P.I.G. Or like, like you gotta have all insane. these fucking hip hop puns. I was like, there's so many. I mean, like, yeah, all right. Biggie is great. No one actually really knows of you like, he released one album how many like yeah rappers like one re- posthumous one yeah it's like it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to say i don't wanna, like like hang shit on biggie but it's like he could have sucked after the next album you know what i mean like it's like <laughs> no one knows him. Him, but he died i mean he didn't die he got killed at a, at a good time for his career i guess <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucked up thing to say but now he's just like in cafes in melbourne there's yeah. a fucking fried chicken joint uh <laughs> a kebab shop you know yeah. like, what's the, what the I, I, I am almost certain that he would have never eaten a fucking kebab in his life living in Queensbridge oh New of York. course I don't understand like, like, do you think he'd ever be a mural on the side of a kebab shop in uh, a new town or a fried chicken <laughs> like, place or a bar there's a place in Sydney that's like was it like Big Poppers yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah. fucking yeah what the fuck? I don't understand. I don't. Know. <laughs> I'm not saying he's a bad rapper, but there's so many other ba- like better rappers out there. It's just funny that yeah, there's like an Aussie obsession with Biggie. I know, like, but, but it's, it's interesting and, and as well that like, like, but it, I don't know. There's, it's hip hop as well. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. A, like, it's it's. I don't know. There's something about young people and and opening restaurants and being part of that cool trend, and they're into yeah. hip hop and stuff, and it's like. I don't know. I remember eating at Hatted restaurants in Sydney, for example, where like you've got... I remember looking around. I'm not going to mention the name of the restaurant that I was eating at, but I was looking around See if and... I can guess it. <laughs> you, 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 you should be able to. And like it was a great restaurant, but I was looking around and everyone there was like middle-aged uh, or, or like we were the youngest people in the restaurant. Mm. And like all the art on the walls were like a lot of the art on the walls was like biggie and hip-hop art and stuff like that and i was like i was like who are you appealing to here like you're literally just doing that because you because that's weird you you do you love biggie that much i don't know you you know we're middle-aged now right yeah Yeah, are we middle (laughs) yeah that that crushed my soul last year i got a kidney stone and i went to the hospital for it and i was like is there anything i can do to make sure that i never get this kidney stone again because this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> and i broke my pelvis in half in a car accident and the kidney stone hurt worse and he goes nah it just happens to middle-aged men and i was like, like middle age. I, I, like, I was like watch your mouth man <laughs> middle age. I, was like, I was like yeah i guess technically we it's, are middle-aged but well, yeah, they always, don't say it's it. always extra hours you worked <laughs> it's, it's like you know that's a, that's a week in your life you got you got, you know, yeah. 1.5 weeks to every week for a chef it's chef years yeah it's so uh mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do appreciate hip hop because that's what I listen to all the time. Mm. Who who are some of your favorites? The ones that are much bigger than better than Biggie. Who's better than Biggie? A tribe called Quest. Yeah, that's my right, that's my up. one A is a, tri- a tribe called Quest and one B is Outkast, mm. which is controversial. From I grew up in the South, so everyone's favorite mm. hip hop group in the South is Outkast. 
because they were like they put southern rap on the map mm. and there's other people that did obviously as well you know like timberland and jermaine dupree and stuff like that but a tribe called quest for me is that's i mean i i love all their stuff collectively but if you listen to anthology which is like their greatest mm. hits like sometimes i'm just at the house i'm cooking dinner or whatever for my for my girlfriend and i just i'm listening to that i'm just like I become so insecure because I can never make something that is good as this collective <laughs> one. Every of all my most popular best dishes, and like they don't have the reach of, of, of a tribe called. You know what I mean? I can yeah, never yeah. be that good. And you're just like, Fuck, you got to stop listening to that album, Cassie, if, if that's where you go when you're listening. I mean, I love it. I just, I just love how good it is. You know? And yeah. It's just like they, they did so much for hip hop in the way. I mean, like, oh, it, it kind of always like. I guess for me also like cycles around like dj premiere and stuff too like mm. he's, he's always there wu-tang like it's mm. for the children that's great outcasts were my one i i think i had this list of like bands that i really really wanted to see live in my life and outcast yeah. is the only one that i still haven't seen um and they they fucking came out like a few years ago and played and i missed really anyway. yeah missed um chance all right, well, we're just talking about hip-hop now for the podcast. <laughs> like, we, we, we can keep doing that. Um, I guess we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I um, guess we, should, we can wrap it up. Like, the, it, What do you... So, I, I had a little question to ask. Yeah. With Rockwell being quite a sort of hospo spot, and I think there's a lot of power in being the good hospo spot, and, like, Liberty's kind of got that reputation as well. Like, what do you think you've done to... To, to you know to, to get that to get those people to get other chefs other bartenders wanting to come to your venues I, I it's just being like not I think you just got to create something that you want to be at you're not trying to create it's not really necessarily an ego driven thing I get, but it may sound like that it's just like you kind of like remove yourself from what you do if that's even possible, it's not really, but like mm -hmm. theoretically, just remove yourself from what you want to do and then ask yourself, is that a place you'd want to spend your day off at? And that's what we did when we set it up. Like mm. That's just, we want to have like an interesting mix of like, of wines, tasty food. Like the biggest thing for us when we opened Liberty was never to make anyone feel like they had to use the space in a certain way. Mm. So if you wanted to come in for a glass of wine before dinner, that's a, that's so that's fine. Sit down, have wine, and then then go to dinner. And then when we first opened, that happened all the time. It it was this weird thing that people would come in, have a glass of wine, you know, have some fun, listen to like different music and stuff, go to dinner, then come back and have more wine. And then they were like, oh, maybe we should just eat here. Yeah. And yeah. they just kept building like that. And people would come in and like. Uh, like Banjo, um, he, he, he went to great lengths to like curate an awesome wine list. Mm. Josh is doing great things now. Like, like the people, like wine that people want to drink. Yeah. It's like yeah. building this thing. It's like, we, sometimes we get pegged as a natural wine bar and, and we are, we, we never put stuff on the menu that's, that uses pesticides or stuff like that. But it, like there's some classic wines on, yeah. on, our, on our list. It's well, not I mean, like, this thing with like, there's heaps of classic wine that is natural. Yeah. That's like, but people don't. It, but it's not natty. Yeah, like, get, like I guess it's like a, there's a difference there. Yeah, now. we get like I just remember like older people just pegging us for you know like whatever. Like no, just come and order. Like just talk to someone and you can order wine that you like. Like yeah. I, I swear to God, you'll find something you like yeah. on the list. It's not that confronting. Like just because there's not like you know 
17 pinots by the glass like hey you can find something to drink i, yeah. I swear to you you'll find something <laughs> and that and that's just how it is and like capitano when we opened that it was like just making a space that you know we just want to serve like like a st- i don't know like making pizzas consistently is the hardest thing I've ever done i've worked section every kind of section and not find any restaurant like making pizzas consistently to the level that we want to serve them at is so fucking hard mm. Um, but it's I eat there more than any other place. It's Capitano and Minamishima. That's the two places <laughs> I eat the most. But, it's a spread. <laughs> I just I like I love going there and eating pizza. Like like everyone that works there cares so much. Um, Blake, who's our head chef, just he I, I we work together, but a lot of the stuff that we opened up with was like my ideas and my recipes, and he's taken it and ran with it. He creates some great dishes. Uh, our sous chefs, um, you know, Sam, he is super, he cares a lot about what we do and like, how people perceive the food and the experience. So mm. it's like creating, like, and they've both been there since day one. And uh, it just, just building these venues that you kind of want to be at. Like, yeah. Do you want to pop? Yeah, yeah. We'll have a pasta and, and like an amazing bottle of wine. Or you can just come in and have like a, a nice, cause it, over there it's all Italian varietals made in Italy or Australia. That's mm. kind of the way the wine is. Here it's anywhere. Mm. But it's just like, here you can come and have a nice glass of wine, not too expensive, you know, have some nice food. And you can have a couple snacks and go somewhere else or whatever. There, you know, you can have a pasta and you could buy, um, you know, like a, a nice, a nice wine from, you know, Adelaide, the Adelaide Hills or something. Yeah, or you yeah. can get like a, a wild bottle from Sicily yeah. or like, yeah and it's like you can it's like choose your own adventure and i think that's what yeah. everything we do with our venues is choose your own adventure once you start pigeonholing people into a, a notion or an idea you start excluding people mm. you're always going to exclude people because and and people will hate what you do and sometimes I, I honestly feel like people hate what you do just because they like it too much they're like oh this place sucks because they like it i don't know it's just weird <laughs> thing with like especially with like chefs and other yeah yeah like, i, I definitely like i definitely like love hate some people i'm like damn it why the fuck are you so good <laughs> fuck I, I i do think for anyone that is still listening after that <laughs> hip-hop <laughs> interlude um if you want to yeah if you want to open a business i think the choose your own adventure Either that, choose your own adventure, or complete singularity are the two ways to go. Like mm. some, like I do one thing and I do it well, or you provide people the template to have as much fun as they want to have. Because we have people here that are like, come in on a Tuesday for a quick meal, but then they'll come with their business colleagues on a Friday and, and buy like five bottles of wine and, and go like to town on it. Mm. And, and, and we give them that platform. And that's like that's like the cool thing to like knowing the regulars here and the regulars at Capitano, um, and how that stuff works. So. Mm. Awesome, that's really really cool insight, and it's the type of place I like to eat and like to drink at and stuff as well. Those choose your own adventure mm. types of places. Um, it's probably time to wrap up. We could talk for hours. Like yeah, we could keep going. We haven't even <laughs> we haven't even looked at any notes or anything. I've got a fly in my face. Um, 
But yeah, I might as well wrap it up there. But I reckon this should be the first of many chats. We'll, we'll do one with you, like an unprepared, unprepared podcast. Every time we come to Melbourne, <laughs> yeah. where we just start talking about like Liberty Series, the types of bikes you like to ride, and, yeah. <laughs> and whatever. We'll just do an exclusive hip hop one. Stop listening to Diggy. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Or at least start putting on your on your restaurant walls. Yeah, yeah and naming it. your dishes after him. <laughs> Casey, thanks so much, man. It's no, great. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Cheers. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.